If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to another expert episode of the podcast. I am, I enjoyed this interview so much. Today, I'm talking to Krista St. Germain, who is a master certified life coach, a post-traumatic growth and grief expert, a widow herself, a mom, and the host of the Widowed Mom podcast. I had been wanting to get an expert on grief for a while now, a topic I don't understand a lot about. And after doing this interview, I realized it's such a misunderstood topic. We know so little about it, I think, you know, in general. So I was so excited to be able to interview Krista. Krista went through her own extremely heartbreaking experience six years ago, losing her husband, becoming a widow. And over the course of the next following years, decided that she wanted to help other widows going through the same thing. And I think the biggest thing that you'll walk away from this episode is like extreme validation for your feelings. And this episode is not just for those who are widowed. This is for anyone experiencing any amount of grief. And we talk a lot, especially towards the end of the episode, about this idea of being able to validate your own feelings and validate your experience and not saying that you're not experiencing grief just because your ex didn't pass away. So this is really for anyone going through a breakup. And we talk about are the five stages of grief real? We talk about this idea of post-traumatic growth, which I love. We talk about the idea of clean pain versus dirty pain, which is something that I will 100% be using from now on, a concept she introduced me to. So this episode is very important. I think, again, anyone experiencing heartbreak will get so much out of this episode. I know I got so much out of this episode. So very, very, very honored to have Krista on the show. And I can't wait to hear what you think about this interview. Welcome, Krista, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. I am very honored to have you share your expertise with us today. 
I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I had mentioned to you before we started recording, but I've been on the hunt for someone to talk about this topic of grief for a while now. Mm. And so I was so happy to come across what you do and your work. And I think it's so important. And I'd love if you could just start off by telling us what led you to do this work. Yeah, for sure. It was not something I ever really intended to do. Honestly, I was 40 and second marriage First marriage kind of went down in flames. Second marriage was like the redemption story, the proof that good humans do exist. right? And he and I were coming back from a trip and I had a flat tire. We'd driven separately and we pulled over on the side of the interstate and he wanted to change the tire. Typical stubborn man, right? He wanted to change the tire. He didn't want to wait on AAA, you know, baby, it'll be no problem. Let me just change the tire. And so I'm standing by the side of the road, texting my then 12 year old daughter to let her know that we would be late. I also had a nine year old son and I was texting her and he was trying to get in the trunk of my car to get the spare tire and a driver that we later found out had both meth and alcohol in his system did not see our, our, blinking lights did not break, just crashed right into the back of Hugo's car and trapped him, pardon me, in between his car and mine. And within like less than 24 hours, I went from feeling like my life was just amazing to thinking that, you know, my best days are behind me and it's never going to be good anymore. And I'll like probably tolerate it, but it won't be great. So it was really my own huge, unexpected loss that threw me into grief. And then of course, even though I did have a great therapist, thankfully, who had helped me with my divorce and I went back to her immediately, I didn't know anything about grief. And what I learned is that a lot of what I did know about grief wasn't even accurate. What I thought I knew, it wasn't helpful. And so, you know, fast forward to me doing a lot of the research myself and figuring it out and finding cognitive coaching techniques and somatic techniques and things that actually really do help. I decided this is what I want to help other people with, right? I don't want other people to be so unprepared for their own grief experience. And then also I didn't know anything about post-traumatic growth. That was never a term that I had heard of. And so, you know, once I learned that you actually could take a loss and use it to inform your future choices and create a life that's even more meaningful and more satisfying, I decided I really wanted to teach other widows that as well. So that was six years ago. And now I have just kind of thrown myself into this work and it's what I do all day, every day, which is specifically to help widows, right? To help widowed moms figure out how to love life again, but have this great passion for grief and and I, I want people to have a smoother experience than most people have in grief. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I think it's so powerful that you were able to take that experience and help other people with it. And I think grief is this, you know, misunderstood topic. I mean, same like with me, I feel like I don't know much about it. I think we all, which I'm going to ask you about like the five stages of grief that we kind of all hear about, but, and we're definitely going to get into the post-traumatic growth because I think that's very, very powerful. I mean, I know this is, might be like kind of a broad definition, but how would you like define grief? Yeah. I define grief as the natural response we have to a perceived loss. Okay. Right. So that includes, it's not just a feeling. Yeah. That includes all the thoughts that we have, all the feelings that we have, how we behave in response to that loss. But it's very individual. It's very subjective. 
It is not one size fits all, right? It encompasses death losses, non-death losses. We expect something to go a particular way. It doesn't go that way. And then our natural response to that, that loss. So I like that you said in a reaction to a perceived loss. And I know that's like a big thing that you also tried to, we don't necessarily have to like rationalize our grief necessarily. And I think that's, that's very important. And I know this is going to be very, very broad, but can you just kind of walk through maybe like symptoms, I guess, of someone who is in like a state of grief? Yeah. Again, it's, it's so individual that one of the things I hope people will get from this podcast and and I'll definitely answer your question, but one of the things I hope people will, will get from this podcast is that it is so different and unique for everyone. And unfortunately what happens often is that we try to, to put ourselves in boxes. We're so worried that we're not normal or that we're not doing grief right as though there is such a thing that we look outside for answers of how we're supposed to be feeling and how we're supposed to be responding and how long that's supposed to last and what we're supposed to do to change it. And grief just isn't like that, right? It's different for everyone it's intense for longer periods of time for some people than it is for others. And so, so that's just the way of it. But typically most of us start with a pretty acute experience, right? After the loss has happened, especially if it was a loss we didn't see coming, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the case, right? Sometimes we have anticipatory grief where we know a loss is coming and we're grieving it even before it's happened. But assuming that, you know, we kind of enter into something we, we weren't really expecting, then everything just kind of goes awry. So if you can imagine, you know, when you, if you were to break a bone, right, something in your body is broken and needs repair. Grief can be a little bit like that too. In that the way that our brain responds to grief, it's kind of all over the place. So we can expect that our hormones are going to fluctuate greatly. We can expect that we're not going to be sleeping as well necessarily. We can expect that the cognitive parts of our brain, the higher parts of our brain that allow us to think clearly and process rationally and make decisions are not going to be as available to us. We might feel numb. It might feel like there's like cotton candy in your brain and you just can't really think clearly. You might you know, notice that you can't remember things as well as you used to, all of a sudden you're forgetting to pay bills or, you know, you forgot to pick up your kid at daycare, like all kinds of things can happen because everything gets out of whack. Right. And that's pretty normal and typical for most people. Or sometimes you just feel super numb and you kind of enter a space where intellectually, you know, that something has happened, but it just doesn't quite feel real. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I would call acute grief, the acute grief experience for most of us. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've interviewed a couple other experts on the podcast of just like, I mean, there's so many change, like they can literally see it in your brain when you're experiencing grief. Yes. There is a lot of actual like physiological changes that are going on in your brain, in your body. Yes. I mean, I interviewed someone who actually like your immune system will go like a lot of times will decrease. Mm -hmm. There's just sometimes your heart will ache. There's actually a broken heart syndrome where your heart physically aches, can feel like you're having a heart attack. Yeah. And I do think we try to put ourselves in boxes. And I think for me, when I'm going through something, I tend to need someone to tell me it's okay to be feeling the way that I Mm -hmm. am feeling. And, but in reality, like it's, it really is based on like your own subjective experience and 
And I'd love if you could talk about like this idea of the five stages of grief, because I think that's Mm -hmm. what and everyone's like, what are the stages of a breakup? And it's like, it's really hard to say because it's like you'll probably jump between like five different stages of something in one day sometimes like it's so could you talk about like that idea? Where did it come from? And what's kind of more of like an accurate representation of that? Yeah, what's great about the five stages of grief is that it's beneficial in terms of being work that was pioneering in the field of grief, right? Okay. So it came from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and she was a researcher along with a man named David Kessler. And what she was actually studying wasn't the response to a loss, it was hospice patients. She was studying what it was like for people to come to terms with their own mortality. Interesting, okay. And so what she gathered was empirical evidence, right? It it wasn't like studied in any sort of repeatable way, but what she noticed was that people typically went through five stages in that process. So, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But what we have learned since her work, she even said towards the end of her life was that it's not, and was never really meant to be linear. It was Mm. never really meant to be inclusive, like all inclusive, all encompassing. She was just saying, Hey, here are sometimes the things that happen can happen. Right. But boy, do we love, you know, prescriptive stages and steps. And because it's, it's been so popular in our culture, people have misinterpreted that work to assume that they are supposed to go through each of those five stages in some sort of linear fashion. And that if they don't, they're doing it wrong, right. Or they're missing out on something. And if you think about any field of work, there's usually a lot of theories about how something works in any particular field, right? Like if somebody was interested in weight loss, there's a million opinions on how to lose weight, right? Yeah. Grief is like that too. There are a lot of grief theories, but the five stages is just the one that our culture seems to have latched onto. And so it was amazing that she did that work, but now we've gone so much beyond that work right? And we don't want to use it to pigeonhole ourselves or measure ourselves or compare ourselves because it really isn't useful. And it, it doesn't describe everyone's experience in the least. Do you find that in the, the widows that you work with, they will oftentimes like kind of use that as a frame of reference and say, I had a day where I felt an acceptance and then I went back to anger. Like what's right. wrong with me or what's wrong why with am me? I, maybe, yeah. yeah. I wasn't, it was, I angry enough. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't angry enough. Right. Am yeah. I depressed? Should I be depressed? Yeah. It's not really useful. Right. Because what we really are better served to do is just to acknowledge that how we feel is how we actually feel and learn how to allow ourselves to process those feelings instead of spending so much time and effort questioning whether what we feel is appropriate and resisting what we feel or judging what we feel. Yeah. And I know you talk a lot about like this idea of the shoulds when it comes to grief. Can you kind of list out like what are some of the biggest things that people think they should feel and then maybe some things that they feel like they should do? Yeah. It's interesting how we can, it's like sometimes our brains just won't let us win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we'll take our, our particular amount of sadness and decide that we shouldn't feel that amount of sadness. We should either feel more sad or less sad. We should feel it for longer or we shouldn't be feeling it for quite so long. Right. And we do that with every emotion. And then there are a lot of emotions. I see people telling themselves they shouldn't feel right. So maybe you feel relief Mm -hmm. for some reason. Maybe you feel a little bit of 
hope or optimism or freedom. Maybe you catch yourself laughing and experiencing a little bit of joy and then boom, like judgment brain jumps in there of, oh, you shouldn't be happy. What does it mean? If you're happy now, what are other people going to think? Or, you know, how awful are you that you feel relieved? You shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a whole lot of shoulds in, in the neighborhood of feelings. And it's not always about <laughs> negative emotion. And then, you know, all sorts of things that we tell ourselves we shouldn't do based on whatever rules that we may have picked up about grief. So a lot of us have these rules that as it relates to the loss of a partner, well, it's supposed to be X amount of time before I, you know, start dating again. It's supposed to be X amount of time before I'm interested in sex again. It's supposed to be X amount of time before I take off my ring or announce myself as single or all kinds of rules that, that really just are made up and of no value. Yeah. But we can judge ourselves for almost anything in grief. Yeah. I mean, I even, I see it, you know, with clients going through breakups of they will have a good day and then they'll spend that good day thinking about how the sadness will come back. And instead of just being, you know, being able to like, Hey, you're having a good day. That's great. Tomorrow might not be the same, but try to embrace the good days as it comes in terms of like shoulds and timelines. I don't know if you're asked this a lot, but like, how long am I going to be sad? How long am I going to feel this way? Do you feel like as a culture, we like, I think a lot of times we feel like we only have X amount of time where we can still talk about it, where we can still feel this way. And then we have to be like, all right, we're done. We're like moving on. We're happy again. Do you feel like there's this also like perceived should of a timeline when it comes to grief? Yeah. And it's interesting, but what I find to be the most common should around timelines is the one-year mark. Mm, Yeah. Specifically with spousal loss, but you know, there's just this idea that the the first year is the hardest. And after the first year, somehow we shouldn't be sad anymore. We should have moved on quote unquote. And that's just absolutely, it's just nonsense, right? We feel how we feel for as long as we feel that way. And there's no sense in judging it. And grief is really, it's something that comes in waves. So oftentimes, I mean, and this has definitely been my experience and my husband died six years ago, but even if it's a non-death loss, right, you will experience a higher amount of positive emotion, right? Less negative emotion. And you'll be thinking, oh, I'm doing well, right? And then all of a sudden something happens. A song comes on the radio. You drive by a particular location, right? Some sort of reminder or trigger or something, or maybe in the case of a breakup, you're in a new relationship and that one breaks up. And then it brings up all the grief around the relationship you had before, right? That you never allowed. So it just comes in waves like that. And so if we expect that to happen, and we don't make ourselves wrong or bad when it does, it's a much easier wave to ride. Yeah. And do you find too that sometimes grief can activate a lot more than just like the grief? I mean, grief of a partner loss is already humongous, but I find sometimes that grief activates like childhood trauma or like it just, it can activate so many different things. So you have to look at like, this is such a multi-layered operation that, that you're going through. And so to expect it to just stay compartmentalized in, in one spot is very unrealistic. Yeah. Oftentimes it, one life experience or one loss will then bring up unhealed losses from before. And I don't, I, when I say unhealed, I don't mean that we're ever supposed to get something to a place where it doesn't come up again, right? It's just yeah. like a wound and it's, it can feel like it just broke open again. 
which I think is what makes people so hesitant sometimes to allow themselves to feel because they worry about what will happen if they let themselves, you know, feel the depth of something. They worry that it will kind of open the door to something that might overwhelm them or, or that, you know, overtake them. But again, if we know that that's a possibility, and if we know that sometimes the intensity that we're experiencing around one loss is really perhaps the cumulative impact of many losses, then we're better prepared for it. Right. And we can start kind of parsing it out and figuring it out and understanding a little more. One thing that I know you talk about is like this idea of like why we're not good at grieving. And it sounds like, I mean, just in, you know, our conversation thus far, it sounds like so much of it is non-acceptance of, of where we're at. And like, one thing my dad always talked about growing up was like this idea of like gravity issues. Like we never like wake up and we're like, uh, gravity, you know, it's like, yes. <laughs> cause it's just, it's just a thing, you know? And so it seems like a lot of why we're not great at grieving is because we're, we're just fighting our reality. Like yeah. today we feel sad. It's not fun to feel sad, but like the last thing we want to do is be upset at ourselves that we're sad. Cause now we're sad and feeling ashamed, you know? So it's like, we just build up all of these. Yes. Being judging an emotion doesn't make it go away. It just makes you feel the emotion plus judgment. Yeah. I like the idea of clean and dirty pain. Oh yeah. Can you talk more about that? So like the clean pain would be to allow the sadness. Okay. Right. Because it's supposed to be there. It is there and it's supposed to be there and it's a part of being human and it's definitely a part of grief or whatever the emotion is. Dirty pain is when we notice the sadness And then we layer junk on top of it, right? With our own judgments. This shouldn't be here. I shouldn't feel this way. I'm weak because I feel this way. I should have already worked my way through this. Why is this still here? I don't want to feel this way. This shouldn't be happening. It's all the judgment, all the resistance, right? That can take what could be a very cathartic, clean experience and just muck it all up. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I may have to borrow that one, but yeah, that is, yeah. that's such a good representation. Well, of it's not that. mine. Feel free to borrow it. Okay. I it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great representation of that because I do think we do tend to make it harder than we take a very difficult situation, you know, not to say that like grieving is easy if you just stuck to the clean pain, but like, right. We do tend to layer on a lot of that. So you know, we're talking a lot about like, you know, things to look out for. Are there, can you talk some about like the techniques or tips or guidelines that you give, not even guidelines, just guidance that you give to someone that they can use to heal from grief, whether that's like self-care practices or just different tips to help out with it? Yeah. So in the beginning, I don't think you want to really try to do anything other than take good care of yourself. Yeah. Right. Which is like literally the basics. Try to sleep knowing that your sleep is disrupted. Right. But prioritizing your own rest, try to eat well, if you can and drink, right. Surround yourself with people who actually, if you can are supportive, right. And allow you to be and talk as you need to be. Don't force yourself to go back to work. If you need to take some some time off, right? If you need to take a break, take a break. That's for all kinds of grief, right? Sometimes we just need to take a break. So those kinds of basic things in the beginning, I think are very helpful. If you need to talk about it with someone, a neutral third party, a therapist, a friend, someone who will listen without judgment and just allow you to articulate if you want what has Mm -hmm. happened, right? Which is not necessarily the thing you want to do after something super traumatic. Yeah. So I'll say that, but 
So those basic things in the beginning, and then really another thing that I think holds us back from having that kind of cleaner experience that we could have, as you said, not easy, but, but at least like less suffering is we're socialized to believe that we're supposed to be happy. We're Mm. conditioned. Like we're we're kind of bought and, and sold this, this bill of goods in our culture that the goal is to be happy all the time all the time. Right. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And so, but it really, if that is what we come into grief with, it makes it so much harder. So we we, got to challenge that. We got to question it, right? Because we really do want to be sad when things happen. We really do want to be angry. Sometimes if we didn't have the full range of emotion, then it wouldn't mean anything, right? Happiness would start to kind of lose its its meaning because there's no context for it. So we've got to remind ourselves that negative emotion and grief are supposed to be part of the human experience. And then from that place, we will not see our emotions as problems to fix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Mm, okay. Yeah. I love that. Right. Yeah. So if we see them, see emotions as experiences to allow, then our whole relationship with them changes. Well, I, I have a, a young son right now and I'm, I'm trying to really hard, like watch my language around, like, this is a bad emotion. This is a mm-hmm. good, you know, it's just like, these are like some not, not so much fun emotions, but not to mm-hmm. say they're like, be curious your thoughts around like this idea of like anger when it comes up, because you know, do you find that sometimes people are angry at the person that like left them, even if it oh, wasn't yeah. their fault and then they feel yeah. judgment around that? Yeah. All emotions are are welcome, are included, are part yeah. of it. And anger is a very common one, but here's where people get concerned about anger. And then we can talk about maybe why they feel angry. Yeah. 
If we have never seen an example of how to allow anger, then it can be really easy to worry when it shows up, right? If all we know is examples of what it looks like to fly off the handle, right? To react from our anger, to like resist that anger with some sort of behavior. You know, maybe we had parents that turned to alcohol when they were angry to try to get away from it, or, you know, went to overworking or overbusying, or they use some sort of numbing behavior. And we don't really have any good examples of what it's like to let anger be in your body and not let it dictate your behavior so that it passes. Then we start getting a little worried about mm-hmm. angry anger, yeah. right? We'd like, Oh, I don't want to be an angry person. I, I can't allow this anger. I have to, you know, distract myself from it because if I, you know, if I allow it to be there, then something bad will happen. And that's typically because we've never been taught how to let anger be there without yeah. fueling us, yeah. right? how to let it just pass through our body. So it's very normal to, to be uncomfortable with anger. And usually we do have a lot of judgments around what it means to feel anger maybe we've been told anger is bad. You shouldn't be angry, right? You don't want to be an angry person. So there's that part of it. But then there's also the kind of why we feel anger and why we blame in grief. And what I have found is that it's usually because there is an emotion that is quote unquote worse underneath the anger that we don't actually want to feel. And so having someone or something to blame and be angry at keeps this illusion alive that we're powerful or that someone's powerful, right? That there is a reason why this happened because if we don't have that, then what we're faced with might be really challenging in terms of the way that we've seen the world before, right? Our worldview, bad things do happen to good people. Yeah. Right. And so that can be a hard thing to accept that. Okay. If I let go of the anger, I'm probably going to be super sad. And anger is actually a higher vibration than sadness. I'd rather be angry than sad, even though I might not consciously know that. And then also, if I let go of the anger and no one or nothing is to blame, then what does that mean in my world? Now it's unpredictable Mm -hmm. and maybe unsafe and maybe uncertain. There's more control with anger. Totally. And, you know, loss is such a loss of power and loss of control in our lives. So that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, and I want to hop back to what you were saying about like the beginning of grief. I mean, I think there's so many positive changes in our society around this idea of like healing and processing your feelings and like facing your triggers and just, there's so much around that. But do you find that sometimes people try to like jump into healing too fast where they're like, let me like get into therapy. Let me like do all these things. And it's, you know, we need to take like a lot more softer and gentler approach. So yes. And I don't know that I would say softer or gentler. I think it just depends on what's going on with the individual. So if it was a particularly like traumatic loss, then you really don't want to jump in too soon. You might not be ready and it's different for each person to jump in so soon and do cognitive work. Got it. Okay. Right. The parts of your brain that need to be accessible to you to do that kind of work might not be ready for that. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, so it's different things for different people. And I don't want to imply that there is a, a one size fits all because there isn't, but sometimes people are really enthusiastic and ready to look at something that they have experienced as pretty traumatic and what would probably be better use of their that time early in grief 
is to actually just not yeah. right. And just like go on about life as best they can, but, but support themselves with good, healthy behaviors and not try to just dive all the way in. Cause it's not perhaps as necessary as they think that it actually is and can sometimes make things worse. Yeah. And I know like the feelings are just so big and they're so big in the beginning. And it's like, sometimes we need to, you know, I mean, I haven't gone through this kind of a loss, but like when I went through trauma therapy, she would like, my therapist would say like, we have to wait until things feel smaller before we can Mm -hmm. like, like you're not going to dive into a trauma when it feels it's at a 10. Like Mm -hmm. we have to wait till, I think she said like, it's at like a six or a five before we can like really get in there. Otherwise it'll just feel too overwhelming and sometimes do more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. There's some research actually that even shows in like first responder type situations where you have a school shooting and then counselors rush in that actually, while people later report that immediate talking about it, they report that that made them feel better. There's a little bit of conflict in that sometimes what has been shown is that the the actual long-term impact is actually worse. Interesting. If they're talking about it in those early days, than if they, it's not, we're trying to ignore it. We're just not trying to dig into it. Right. And that's because sometimes if we can trust that the body knows what to do, Sometimes some of what we feel like we need to talk about will actually resolve itself without our having talked about it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that that definitely makes sense. And I know there's sometimes like I've been in therapy and I'm kind of stretching for things and I'm sometimes make a problem bigger than than it needs to mm-hmm. be just because I'm like, I, I'm supposed to be talking about yeah. this and, I'm, and yeah. you kind of end up building it up. I want to get into this idea of post-traumatic growth, but I I had one more question on this idea of healing. And that is for those who have children, what does it look like of taking care of yourself, but also being a mom, being a dad? Yeah. I think it looks like reminding yourself in the beginning, especially that this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint, right? If it's a significant loss. And so it's cliche, but it's so true. We've got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first, right? We cannot help our children if we do not help ourselves. That doesn't mean we only help ourselves, but that means that we have to be first on the list. Like we have to meet our needs so that we can meet theirs. One of the things that children who have experienced the loss of a parent very early in life have grown up and said is that what they really needed was a surviving parent to take good care of themselves because Mm -hmm. Otherwise, not only are they faced with the loss that they had, right, in their own grief, but now they have the burden of worrying about you. So if we can take good care of ourselves, and that's different for different people, right, then we can take better care of our kids and we don't pile up on them, right, and give them something else to worry about. And not easy. Yeah. But, you know, we got to find the balance. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. So moving into this idea of post-traumatic growth. Can you yeah. just talk about like the concept for, you yeah. know, first? Yeah. I remember hearing it the first time and it was like a record scratch moment where you're like, wait, what do they say? Post-traumatic what? It's like one of those things where you like, you've never heard it, but you're yeah. like, oh, I know. Like huh? you can kind of identify with it pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's a phrase that was coined in the mid nineties by a couple of researchers, Tadeshi and Calhoun were their last names. And what they were studying or noticing is that some people after a trauma 
were going back to some people weren't recovering very well at all. Some people were going back to their kind of baseline level of wellness that they had experienced before the trauma, but then other people were actually going on to greater levels of wellness and life satisfaction after the trauma. And so whole concept really just changed what we thought was possible after loss trauma, which is that you can bounce back, but you can also bounce forward. Hmm. Right. And I like to think about it like a tornado, right? I live in Kansas and tornadoes. We have those, right? We had one. We had one in the spring about three miles away and it knocked down a whole neighborhood, right? It knocked down like the YMCA that we use. And so grief can be that same way, right? Something comes through your life and it knocks down your house and you could build the same house that you had, right? That'd be fine. Or you could also take what you've learned from having lived in that house. Maybe you want more light. Maybe you want a different layout. Maybe you want a bigger kitchen. Maybe you, you know, whatever. And you could build a new house. That's even more of what you want using what you learned from living in the old house. And that's the idea of post-traumatic growth. And some people do this automatically mm-hmm. and some people have to actually think about it and work at it, but we can have lives that are more aligned and more of what we value no matter what has happened. And that's post-traumatic growth. Do you think a big reason for that is because as humans, I think as motivated as we want to believe we are on a normal basis, like our probably our biggest motivator is pain. I think pain can be just a big reality check, right? Loss can be such a reality check. Loss can, because so many of us were just operating on autopilot, right? Going through life yeah. or I don't know about you, but this is what I've seen. We kind of think about this life that we imagine and then we reach, you know, maybe midlife and we've created most of it, right? We went to school, we got the job, we found the person, we did the things society tells us we're supposed to be doing. And then we stop really dreaming. We stop really reaching or creating. And then something happens and we go, oh crap. Okay. Life is short. Life is unpredictable. This can be taken from me immediately. You know, all of a sudden I'm looking around at work and what used to be okay with me now suddenly feels pointless and hollow and unimportant. Right. And so it can just kind of shake us out of that zombie state that a lot of us are living in where we go, wait a minute. Okay. What is important to me? What do I want? Who do I care about? How do I want to spend my time? What matters? Yeah. And then we build from there. So I don't know that it's necessarily that pain is the motivator, but it's like loss is just the thing that just shakes you up and wakes you up. Yeah. I forgot where I heard it from, but I heard there, there was like a quote that said like there, we get very few times in our lives when like our etch-a-sketch gets like totally shake, like shaken. And then we get like this totally blank slate. I wish I could remember who said it, but yeah. But I think that there's a reason why after loss, like people will change jobs or move cities or, you know, like the characteristic, like cut all your hair off or, you know, change (laughs) this. It's just because I did almost all of those things. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, like in your case, was someone who didn't learn about post-traumatic growth till after was yours, like a conscious process that you feel like you put yourself through? Or is it just something that happened naturally? I think it was a little bit of both. Maybe pretty quickly. I was assessing my career choice pretty quickly. 
because just all of a sudden I was like, Whoa, you know, my husband died. He was 42. I was 40. And, and it wasn't that I hated my job. I didn't actually, it, it wasn't a bad job. It paid very well. I'd been there for 10 years, but I just started thinking is I, am I making the impact in this world that I want to make? Yeah. Right. Is this what I really want to do with my days? And that happened really before I had discovered the idea of post-traumatic growth. It was actually that started happening. I decided, okay, I think I'll go become a therapist. My therapist was saying, come work for me. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that kind of quest to then, I, then I started learning about coaching and I was thinking about therapy and, and all of it kind of started happening. And then I started learning about it and started thinking more intentionally about how I wanted to grow as a result. But pretty immediately, I was like, I don't think I'm living the life I want to live in these other areas. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, after it happened, you didn't think that six years down the road, this would be the thing that you're doing in a million years. Even actually I became a coach. I certified as a coach before I even decided to go into grief. I still had so much of my own work to do at that point that I couldn't imagine helping people with grief. It didn't feel like it would be fun to me. It didn't, you know, it felt like, oh, just heavy. And so, you know, it wasn't until later when I had, had really made more progress for myself that I started to see it differently. And I reached a point where I thought, now, wait a minute, but okay. I think it doesn't make sense for me to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. And do you find that you've healed more of your stuff? Like as you've kind of walked other people through that and not to say that like everyone has access to that because not everyone's going to become a coach, but like I'm, I've been in recovery for nine and a half years from drugs and alcohol. So I'm, Mm. you know, part of the 12 step community. And like this idea of helping other people has helped me so much. Are there like, you know, like, how do you encourage people to like, kind of get into community around, like, are there support groups when it comes to grief? Do you recommend those? And, you know, what are some of the benefits of that? I, I do, but also you need to be selective in the group that you choose. Yeah. That's right. Great advice. Because sometimes grief groups can turn into the ain't it awful club yeah. and it can actually drag you down. And so you need to be aware of whether that group is lifting you up or pulling you down and make sure that you find environments where you feel supported, but also understood, but encouraged as opposed to understood. And, you know, it's terrible. That's great advice. And I run a group coaching program, right? I used to only coach one-on-one, but that's why I decided to switch to a group program is because especially for widowed moms, grief can be very isolating, and, and I think this is true for no matter what kind of grief you have, right? Wh- whether it's yeah. a breakup or it's job loss or it's, you know, it, it just it doesn't matter. If you have other people around you so that you see your experience in them, then you will, it's so much easier to stop judging yourself. It's so much mm-hmm. easier to stop worrying about, oh, I'm doing it wrong. There must be something wrong with me. And I had the same conversation so many times with women one-on-one, right? That I was like, I just got to get these people together. Yeah. They've got to see that there's nothing wrong with them. This is just grief. Right. And then we can make progress faster. So for those reasons, I love groups where a group can normalize the experience. And then we, because we can normalize it so fast, so much faster, then we can start making progress in the areas that perhaps are unique to us. Mm -hmm. I think peer support is amazing when you find the right fit. 
Yeah. And I think there's a lot of power in seeing that mirror of your own experience and like hearing, I know sometimes like hearing what you say to other people, you're like, whoa, I didn't even know I had that in me or I needed to hear that more than I needed to say it out loud. So I think there's a lot of power in that. My last question for you is for those that are listening and are like, wow, this is so helpful, but my partner didn't pass away. They, I'm just going through a breakup. Can you talk about this idea of like, you call it like disenfranchised grief. Can you talk about that topic and like how we can be a little bit more gentle on ourselves and not so much have to rationalize and justify the feelings that we're going through? Yeah. Right. So disenfranchised grief is just a term for an experience that someone might have when their grief falls outside the norms of what their social group supports. Right. So when they're not getting support because, so maybe you had an affair and you're grieving someone who nobody even knew you were with in the first place, right? Maybe you had a same sex relationship and your family is not supportive of that at all. Right. So you find yourself in positions where, you know, it's really easy. I'm not going to say easy, but it's easier for the average widowed mom to get people you know, to understand and acknowledge that it's hard, yeah. but not all grief experiences are like that. And it's not even necessarily because of the actual grief experience, right? You might have been in a relationship with someone who was abusive to you. Yeah. And so other people do not appreciate why you would be sad when that relationship ends. Right. Yeah. So if you are not getting support from the outside, what you need to remember you can support yourself from the inside and we've got to stop telling ourselves that we shouldn't feel how we feel. And we've got to stop telling ourselves, well, it's just a breakup, right? It's not just a breakup. It's a breakup. Mm -hmm. It's grief. It hurts. Yeah. Period. Right. We don't minimize. We don't like try to, we don't compare and despair. Well, at least this didn't happen. At least we weren't together for X, Y, you know, Z number of years. At least they didn't have cancer, right? No, this hurts this is happening. Right. And so we stop minimizing it. And then I think if we look hard enough, even if we're not finding support in our current environment, we will find support, right? Obviously you provide it. Yeah. And you you wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so there are, even if your loss is, is, is super specific, somebody out there is providing an environment that is accepting and does acknowledge that your, your grief is real and valid. Yeah. I mean, you gave so many good examples and I get that like, my relationship was only a couple months, but I'm like, I feel worse than being out of a five-year marriage. And it's like, we, you know, it'd be great if it was, our feelings were dictated by like a rubric and it was like, okay, you were only together for this long. So your pain's only going to last this long. And you should, it's like, that's just not what happens. Like we can't, we can't be like, okay, Kendra, (laughs) get with the program here. Cause there is no program when it comes to those kind of feelings. Yeah. And sometimes it could, it could be, you know, somebody you didn't even know right? yeah. that, that died or something happened and it impacted you so powerfully, or, you know, you're watching what's happening in Ukraine or you're watching climate change or anything that just really, it doesn't have to be a personal one-on-one relationship that we experience grief over, I guess is my point. Yeah. I was actually, I was going to ask that, like, with all the access we have to news and all the, you know, horrific things happening around the world, I would imagine like, you know, seeing the school shootings and all that stuff, like there is like an immense amount of grief for people that I don't know. And we have to be able to hold space for that. Yeah. And I think there's value in it. I think it would be weird if we didn't have responses like that, right? If we just walked the world as like robots. Yeah. That's not the kind of human experience that I want to have. I want to feel 
Yeah. Cause if we you know, feel the, the lows, you know, I mean, we wouldn't be able to appreciate you mentioned in the, the top of the episode, like we wouldn't appreciate the highs if we didn't also experience the lows. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. This was so enlightening. And I imagine like anyone coming out of this episode will feel, I'd say the biggest thing, like incredibly validated in their experience. And I think that's, that's really important. Goal. Could you share some, like how people can work with you, connect with you, find out sure. more about you? Yeah. So I also host a podcast. It's called the widowed mom podcast. So if anybody's interested in learning more about grief, even if you're not a widow or a mom, the podcast is, it's all about grief and post-traumatic growth. They can find me online at coaching with Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A.com. I have a free grief course that people can find on the homepage, right? So if they just want to learn about grief kind of 101, I also have a grief quiz that people can take, which is at coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief support. And if they take that quiz, it will actually point them towards particular episodes of the podcast based on where they are in grief and what they're struggling with. So you can just disregard the widowed mom part. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, as you've learned in the episode, like feelings are feelings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all of those are great ways. Well, we will put those links in the show notes, but thank you so much, Krista, for taking your experience and turning it into this and being able to help so many people with, with your story and with your expertise. So we really appreciate it. And thanks for letting me come on. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie, where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.